Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. It's Arif Dean here of Mile High Sports, joined by Peter Bob the Athletic. He's making his long-awaited return as we await the return of J.J. Jerez, who we're hoping to have back by the end of the week. So uh, we're here to discuss all things avalanche, obviously. And as always, this show is presented by Superbook Sports. And just to get started, Peter, how is everything going? Things are good, man. It's uh, busy with the trade deadline and Obviously, it's there's been some travel the last few months with the Avs, so that's that's kind of taken up some of my time, but all's well. Awesome. Yeah, I think the schedule had a little bit of a calmer February. Obviously, we're not through the month quite yet, three and four days to end the month, um, but it, it picks up real well in, in March. There's a couple of days off after the Devils game on the first, but then it's pretty pretty straight all the way through a big homestand big road trip big homestand playing every other night ton of back-to-backs right into april it's it's the stretch run this is it the all-star game has come and gone and we are inching ever so close to the playoffs less than two months until the stanley cup playoffs begin pretty wild wow yeah well and that's the the thing of having games in hand is you're gonna have to play a lot at the end of the year and yep um suddenly especially with for some reason having four days off in the middle of February like they're gonna have just like it's gonna be yeah like every other day and then a few back-to-backs and it's gonna be hectic but we'll make it through yeah it's pretty crazy when that avalanche game ended yesterday they were two points back of Winnipeg with the same amount of games but Winnipeg was in the process was in the middle of a game in progress that they lost and then they play twice more they play today Monday and they play Wednesday before the avalanche are back there where they will once again have three games in hand on Winnipeg which is just wild to me yeah <laughs> uh but yeah let's start with that game obviously thrilling six to five overtime victory for the Avs over the Edmonton Oilers very reminiscent in some ways of game four in the cup clinch or the western conference clinching game last year but you know we all saw what happened we saw the avalanche erase multiple leads uh but I want to start from the top with the number one and number two center on the avalanche right now and how they're playing in, in Nathan McKinnon and JT Comfer yeah, well, McKinnon has been. Uh, I think we were talking before before we we hit record. He's leading the the league in points since the turn of the calendar, and he's been it, it, that passes the eye test. He's been unbelievable, and uh, I'll I'll be the first to admit when I'm wrong. Arif told me a few days ago, like or maybe a week ago, like he'll get to 34 goals this year, and I I was like, yeah, that's a lot of goals, <laughs> but he uh, it, it might be hard to bet against him now. I, I think there are a few things to watch with me and McKinnon and it's a lot more like personal stuff rather than like how it impacts the team. Cause I think the way it impacts the team is pretty straightforward. He's just really good and that helps the team. Um, but I, I, I'm curious one, if he'll get to a hundred points, which I think that I would say if he can play 95% of the remaining games, then I would guess that he will. Um, and two, uh, can he work his way? I don't, there's not really any chance he'll win the heart trophy, but can he work his way into the top five contention, um, for that award? Cause I think, I do think even if you don't win getting on ballots matters and being in, in the, con- in contention is, is meaningful. Yeah. Being in consideration is going to be a big thing for him. Uh, yeah, the, the whole running joke with the 34 goal thing is, Following that Tampa Bay game, the Valentine's Day Tampa Bay game, so the one at home, McKinnon was at 17 goals through 41 games. And obviously he missed 11, so he doesn't have 41 games left. He's got 30 games left from that point. And I said he's going to double his goal, so he's going to score 17 more in the last 30 games, which like in the grand scheme of things is like a 40-something goal pace. It's not something that's abnormal for him to do. He scored at a half a goal per game pace last year, but... 
Um, he's only at 19. We got to remember he got one of his two goals taken away yesterday. With oh, that's Comper. right. Yeah. So he needs, he's got two in his last three games. He needs another 15 of them in the last 20, whatever games that the avalanche have left a little less than 30 games now. So, uh, it's going to be pretty fun to see how he ends the season, but how he has started the new year has been just unbelievable for him. I feel like it's kind of been, it's, it's what he does. He likes to have these strong stretch runs. He did it in 2018, the year that he probably should have won the heart trophy, but you know, Taylor Hall was doing the same thing. Uh, 2019, he started the season really strong. And then there was that like middle lull that him and ran and both had, and then leading into the playoffs, they both took off. Uh, 2020, I can't even remember how the hell anything went then because there wasn't a real stretch run. <laughs> I just know he got third. <laughs> he got yeah, third. In exactly. He was third in the heart trophy voting. I just remember how he ended. Well, he was injured actually when COVID paused. So that one doesn't really count. 2021, obviously the shortened season. He didn't play all the games last year. We saw him end the year strong again. Uh, I think I've mentioned this stat on the podcast before last season. He had 32 goals. He scored three in his first 19 games and then 29 in his last 44 games. So he upped that pace from three and 19 to well over a 50 goal pace in the final 44. So this is what he does. He gets ready for the playoffs in a big way. And you know, the avalanche this year actually needed a hell of a lot more than last year and the year before last year, they won the West two years ago. They won the NHL uh, president's trophy in the regular season. Uh, three years ago, they were sitting comfortably in a playoff spot before the COVID pause. They needed Nathan McKinnon more than ever this year. And they are now 11, two and two in their last, 15 games since that dreadful loss to Chicago game number 40 of the season. And a large part of that is because of Nathan McKinnon. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's been pretty impressive. And and you also brought up the two C right now, who's JT Comfer and, and he's up to 38 points on the year, always plays a solid two way game, uh, really kind of seems more confident in who he is as a player um, I, I think it takes some players that they don't develop at the same speeds and Comfer is uh, kind of it's coming together at the right time for him because he won. He, he got to have a great Stanley Cup run last year. He, he played really well during that run and I think was maybe one of the unsung heroes, especially in the St. Louis Edmonton kind of range of that uh, playoff run. He was excellent at the end of the St. Louis series, started the Edmonton series really well. And then played two C for five games with Kadri out, and the Avs went four and one in those games. So yeah. I, I think that, and now he, so he got to have that. He was kind of hitting his stride in that run, and now he's hitting his stride as he approaches a, a big summer for him, where he's going to be up for a contract. And uh, we'll see if if he, um, if there's any way the Avs can keep him. I think it's going to be really tough. Um, but I think it it also begs the question of does this season maybe change the Avs' priorities a little bit? Of maybe we don't have to go externally to find a second line center. Maybe this 27, 28 year old we have in Colorado already who likes playing here. Maybe he's the guy to keep around. Yeah. I mean that, that could very well be the case, but even if that were the, you know, even if that were what the avalanche wanted to do, I look at the money that Andrew Kopp got from the Detroit Red Wings. And I say at this point, even if the Avs don't find another guy, can they even afford JT Comfer, like what five and a quarter million, five and a half million. Like I could very well see JT getting that Andrew Cop type of contract, which yeah. was career third liner that you know we're gonna thrust into a second line role. Maybe he's more of like a two and a half line center, if that makes sense. But second line wing, third line center. Bingo. Yeah. yeah. So you know he, you know, 
Andrew Kopp last year had uh, looks like 35 and 18, 53 points, uh, obviously had the strong run with the Rangers, uh, 18 points in 16 games. But before that, had never hit 40 before. And yeah. JT Confers never hit 40, and he's on pace for 56. So I look at that contract and I say, can the Avalanche afford this guy regardless? Obviously, that's a conversation for July and for June. Right now, we're talking about JT, this playoff run, because the Avs have him under contract. He's been incredible. Uh, I asked him yesterday a question um, where I, I used all of the, the 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 keywords you can use without actually saying second line center. I said, you know, a more a more prominent role you're playing in, you know, with 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 top wingers like Miko. I pretty much hinted at second line center without saying it over and over again. And I told him, like, what's working for you this year, you know, in this role? And he said quote, I feel more comfortable in that position this year. I think I knew I could do it, but now I actually feel way more comfortable actually doing it. Yeah. So, and and he's seeing himself do it. He's seeing himself have success. I'm sure it was a big boost for him last Stanley Cup run. The fact that they put him at 2C for the end of as soon as Kadri got hurt in, uh, at the end of game or at the beginning three. of game three, he was the 2C. They, they Maybe Miko played a little bit here and there, but it was mostly comfort through game three of the cup final until Kadri came back. And if you remember, like uh, JT Comfer led the the three on two that led to Andre Berkowski's overtime winner. Like he had big moments in that run. And I think, yeah, his confidence has come together. He's, he's clearly put in a lot of work. I know my first year on the beat, the shortened 2021 season, I think was a, a pretty, pretty tough year for him. I think like he, he didn't produce at a very high level um he was left unprotected in the expansion draft which is kind of crazy to think about now <laughs> um and he he it was yeah it was not an easy easy year for him and he put in a lot of work the next summer um and and really is kind of rounded into form so it's it's certainly a a good story for him i i do wonder about the avs kind of and we'll get more into the trade deadline later but the 2c options are are quickly running out do you, I mean, they, I don't know. I honestly don't know if there is a guy out there who is available, who is going to be more ready than JT Comfort to fill in at two C. I mean, yeah. And, and we'll, we'll definitely talk about that, but it's, it's, it's looking grim now with, with Bo Horvat and Ryan O'Reilly off the board, Sean Monahan, uh, still having not returned. He didn't skate today at practice. Jonathan Taves officially announcing he's not going to get traded. He's got an illness that's going on. So yeah, I mean, suddenly it went from a buyer's market to there's probably names that we don't believe are on the market and we're not thinking of that might be what the Avalanche end up trading for as a second line center if they even go out and acquire a second line center. We will definitely get into that. But like even looking at last year's run with JT, you keep mentioning he was, you know, four games as the second line center, sorry, five games as a second line center in the five previous games before that. So we're talking games four, five and six against St. Louis games one and two against Edmonton he played and these are playoff games this is on deep avalanche team where he had Burakovsky Newhook Abe Kubel guys like that as his wingers he played in those five games 10 11 9 12 and 11 minutes then Nazem Kadri gets injured the avalanche were already I believe trailing one nothing in that game right McDavid, yeah, McDavid scored, scored on the first shift and then the Evander Kane hit on Nazem Kadri he goes out then they Comfort don't score on the in. five minute power play. They don't score on the five minute power play. That's correct. Then Comfort comes in and the Avalanche win that game. Then they win this game four. Then they win game one against Tampa. Then they steamroll them in game two. 
and then they lose game three, and that's when Kadri comes back in game four. Obviously, we know what happens from there. The rest is history. In those five games, so his ice time went from 11 minutes in game two against Edmonton up to 19. Then he played 17, 15, 16, and obviously only 13 in uh, in uh, game two against or game three against Tampa, the one that they lost. So he he did well. He had a lot of shots. He was all over the ice. He obviously only had a goal and assist in those five games. But, but... they were bi- at big moments, if you remember. Yes. The goal was game three against Edmonton coming out of the penalty box. He outmuscles. Uh, it was Bouchard for a puck and scores that pretty much in a lot of ways clinched the series that put the abs up three to two midway through the third and in, in game three although i guess we can't after the vegas series we can't assume that the abs are safe with <laughs> a, a late third period lead up 2-0 in a series um, yeah and but, then obviously well that was well that was game three against that edmonton. was so that was that game one, three against edmonton yeah yeah so that one gave him a three to nothing well yeah that one yeah I get. Oh yeah, I guess the the lead late in game there. Okay, never mind me. Go on. And then obviously, <laughs> like you said, the the Tampa Bay one, the assist was, uh, you know, the one in overtime uh, against the Lightning in Game One. So it's almost like you wrote a book about this, and you know, you, yeah. you know a thing or two about that cup final <laughs> run. So still yeah, well, sitting on my desk, still hey, have not had a chance. So um, yeah, well the uh, and you also have to remember in Game Six against, I want to say Confer scored the first goal of the Western Conference Finals against Edmonton new hook assisted it um the first goal the Edmonton scored the first goal and then he responded he scored yep he scored goal game game six the helm game people remember the helm goal but that goal doesn't mean as much if Comfort (laughs) doesn't score too so he he had some big moments yeah five goals in four games because he had two goals against St. Louis in game six two goals against Edmonton in game one goose eggs in game two goal in game three so he he did what he had to do but moral of the story is the Avalanche look pretty good with him right now. I mean, we're talking about the Avs winners of their last three games, 4-0-1, I want to say, in their last five. They're, you know, like I said, 11-2-2 in their last 15 games. And guys like Alex Newhook, guys like Evan Rodriguez, who the Avs have needed to step up at times, neither of them has had a point in the seven games since returning from the All-Star break. Wow. And we're not talking about that. Yeah, because JT Comfer has picked up his game. Nathan McKinnon has elevated his game. Uh, Arturi Lekkinen is pitching in. Now we have goals in consecutive games from Valerie Nachushkin. Sam Gerrard, 16 points in his last 19 games. Um, Kel McCarr has been out of the lineup. Uh, Miko Rantanen, six games without a goal, and now two straight games with a goal. So they're starting to pick it up from, you know, from all the lines. We saw Logan O'Connor get on the board, I believe, twice over the last four games. He had that shorthanded goal against Florida. Scores against yesterday. People are starting to pitch in from all up and down the lineup, Dennis Malgin included. And that's what you want. And and it starts with the top guys and the top guys being Nathan McKinnon centering the top line, JT Confer centering the second line, and neither of them look out of place right now. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's that's the other thing is if this team is fully healthy, if Lana Scott, and it's a bit, I mean, like, look, I, I think it's really encouraging what's happening with Lana Scott, the fact that he's on the ice, the fact that he's at the arena yesterday. But if you looked at the videos of him skating there, he's he's a ways away. Like it, it's yeah. not like he's going to be returning next week or anything. But if big if the Avs have a world where they have a fully healthy forward group, JT Comfort would be playing with probably some combination of maybe Val Nachushkin and Miko Rantanen, who both can take on a lot of defensive responsibility and and uh, handle a lot of stuff. I've been saying all season that when Landeskog comes back, you're going to see Lekkinen and Rantanen playing with McKinnon. But I just find it really hard to believe that, you know, 
I don't know, let's pick a random day. April 2nd, Gabe Landeskog returns and Nathan McKinnon's not like, put this dude on my wing, I miss him. Like, yeah, I don't know why. I just feel like 29 and 92 will be together uh, if Gabe Landeskog gets in some games, which is what the team hopes, which is what the team expects, but obviously things could change on a dime. Uh, the videos today showed, like you said, that it was very basic. He's still a ways away, um, but it's February 20. We're about five, six weeks away from April 1st, and then the season ends in mid-April, the regular season. So we'll see what happens there. But going back to the Oilers game, the last thing I want to touch on from that before we move on to these other topics that we're you know, kind of teasing is – I mean, obviously, when you're losing and trailing, entering the third period, you expect a little bit of a different period than when you're hanging on to a lead. But that was a pretty good third period from the Avs. You know, we've seen a long, you know, a little bit of a pattern here recently where they have to hang on late. It happened in Minnesota. Granted, second game of a back-to-back. Kaprizov makes it a one-goal game, and then they had to hang on late. St. Louis didn't happen, but St. Louis is kind of gutted right now. Against the Edmonton Oilers, the Avalanche entered the period down two goals. McKinnon scored to make it a one-goal game. Then it was a two-goal game again, and they still found a way to fight back. That was 2022 version of the Avalanche. Like That's the kind of stuff they used to do last year where the score didn't matter. The time of the game didn't matter. The period didn't matter. When they had an opportunity to put it on and or turn it on offensively, they did. Yeah, and I think, honestly, a lot of it comes down to, I think right now, you're seeing a bit of a deeper lineup. I mean, you have Josh, Man- the fact that they have that Gerard's playing the way he's playing, that Byram's playing the way he's playing, that they have Manson back, that they have Taves obviously being Devon Taves. Like that's four defensemen. You can trust to play a lot of minutes. And especially in that stretch where they kind of leading into the all-star break, it felt like every third period was a bit of a tightrope walk where they were kind of just letting the ice tilt the other way. I think it helps having a, a few more of those guys back, uh, even without Kel McCarr. Like it, it's it's pretty helpful to have have Manson Byram. Like like you can trust those guys to kind of play in difficult minutes. And like you said, some of the other players on the team have have picked it up. Dennis Malgin has has earned a little bit of trust. Matt Nieto has joined the fold, and he's obviously a a solid, trustworthy player. Two goals, two goals since he got here. That's what yeah. more can you ask for? You want Nero to, to give you over 82 games. You want 10 goals. He's got two in, in a month. Yeah. And he, uh, you have Nieto, you have, um, I think even he, the, the goals haven't come from him, but there have been stretches of play that I've really liked from new hook lately. Yeah. Um, like I think he's looked really good. I think Evan Rodriguez is on a bit of a, he's in a slump right now and he's fighting it, but I think that's going to happen over an 82 game season. The question is, can he pull out of it? Cause last year in Pittsburgh, that was kind of the big thing of mm-hmm. the second half of the year. He, he really struggled and took, he, he wasn't really able to get out of it, but I think that there's still time for him to, it, he's, he's had a bit of a rough stretch, but that's not the end of the world by any means. Um, so yeah, you're seeing a more complete lineup where it's not like the fourth line is two defensemen and an AHL or something, you know, like that's, that's hard. It's hard to not wear yourself out and get tired at the end of games. If that's the lineup you're kind of throwing out there. So I think, yeah, it makes sense that they're picking it up a little bit. Um, and I, I think it's an important time because the abs kind of left the West on a platter for someone to take it. And you saw like Dallas and some other teams, maybe, maybe coming up and taking a little bit off the platter, taking a nibble, but none of them grabbed the whole thing. And like, mm-hmm. Now the abs are kind of starting to roll. And if I'm a team like Dallas or Winnipeg or Vegas, I'm kind of like, dang, 
we, we might've missed our chance to really, and that's not to say that the abs are going to get the one seed by any means, but you're look, you've seen one of the stories I think of this NHL season has been that the Western conference has been pretty disappointing. Minnesota yeah. is fine, but like that was when the abs were kind of scuffling for a bit, Min- neither Minnesota nor Calgary, none of those teams could put distance between themselves and the abs in the kind of final playoff, the final wild card <laughs> spot. And teams like Winnipeg, Dallas, couldn't extend their like divisional lead to a level that to an insurmountable level. Cause I really do think that was on the table. Like the abs were scuffling for a bit there. And if one of those teams had gone on a run, all of a sudden it's like, all right, the abs probably aren't going to be able to do this thing. I mean, if Dallas was a little bit better in overtime, it would be a much tougher <laughs> hill to climb for the abs right now. So I don't know. It's all, it's all interesting to me. And um, yeah, I, I think that uh, we'll see how it pans out, but I think the abs have given themselves a chance to, get into the mix to have a pretty good seed in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the Minnesota and Calgary, I like to look at them differently because with Winnipeg and Dallas at one, two, all Minnesota needed to do was separate themselves from the pack. And suddenly Colorado's fighting for a wild card. Like look at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is in the same division as the Rangers, the devils and Carolina. The third seed of those teams is the Rangers. They've got 75 points in 56 games. Penguins have a game in hand and they're 12 points back. So for Pittsburgh, Pretty unlikely they're going to get into the top three. So their fight is the wild card fight. It's Florida, it's Pittsburgh, it's the Islanders, the Capitals, now the Sabres, now the Red Wings. Like those are the seeds and those are the spots that they can fight for. Had Minnesota, Winnipeg, and Dallas found a way to take advantage of the Avalanche slump, Colorado would be in the same thing with the Edmontons and the Calgarys and the Nashvilles of the world. Like that's where they would be stuck. But because Winnipeg or because Minnesota, it like themselves, they themselves hadn't been able to really grab a hold of, you know, the opportunity there. And obviously their team is kind of decimated right now too. And, you know, they're dealing with their own struggles. The avalanche are now third in the central. So doesn't matter what Calgary does. Doesn't matter what Edmonton does. As long as you separate yourself from Minnesota and Nashville, you have a one, two or three seed in the central. And also you're looking up at Winnipeg. You have a game in hand and you're two points back. Like I said, they're your next game. But by the time you play them, You'll be three games back and, you know, by as much as six points back. And uh, you have Dallas, who you have two games in hand on, and you're five points back. Dallas and Winnipeg in their last 12 games each have combined for nine wins. Colorado in their last 12 games has eight wins. Like, that can't happen if you're Dallas and Winnipeg. The Avalanche were they were reeling. It wasn't, you know, we, we talked two weeks to not two weeks ago, maybe about a month ago or, you know, shortly before Christmas, two months ago about how it wasn't just that the avalanche or not Christmas, but all-star break. It wasn't just that the avalanche were injured. It's they weren't playing well after that loss to Chicago. They were 2017 and three. That's when the 11, two and two stretch has started. And during that same stretch, Dallas now has three wins in their last 10, granted some OT points. Winnipeg is five and five in their last 10. Vegas has seen some struggles here in the last little while where, like you said, like the number one seed is up for grabs. And if not the number one seed, then even home ice advantage. Yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting stretch. I, I just I'm I think fairly underwhelmed by the Western Conference yeah. as a whole. I do. The team I wonder about is Edmonton, if they can get. There's a few too many what ifs, but I'm still, I can't quit the Oilers. Like, I still think that they could be a really good team after the trade deadline if they add a good defenseman and if their goaltending is in order. And those are two big ifs, but man, they're, 
I, I think if if there's any team that should go all in, it's probably the team that has McDavid and Dreisaitl in their mm-hmm. prime. Yeah. Three straight overtime losses for the Edmonton Oilers. Just a weird stretch for them. But I don't remember if I said this to you. Look, the Edmonton Oilers, they have 68 points in 57 games. They're on pace for somewhere in the 95-point range. The Avalanche are on pace for somewhere in the 99-point range. If they win their next game, they're on pace for well over 100. 101, I believe. Well, not well over, but they're on pace for 100-plus. But basically, this is something I said maybe... The game before the All-Star break, I want to say, against St. Louis. I don't remember if I said it to you, but I definitely said it on the podcast with JJ after Colorado beat St. Louis that night. I said, I look at the Western Conference. I look at what all these teams are doing, how everybody's hanging around. Seattle, LA, Vegas, Dallas, Winnipeg. Calgary's had their ups and downs. St. Louis has dropped out. And I look at Colorado and Edmonton, and I say, as boring as this sounds, we're probably going to have a repeat of last year's Western Conference final. Like nobody has separated themselves despite what the Oilers are doing on pace for 95 points, despite what the Avalanche are doing with an 11, two and two run are still on pace for 98, 99 points. I just look at both those teams and, you know, like you said, a lot of ifs involves, but if both of these guys continue to play the way that they should play for the Avalanche continue for the Oilers, stop losing in overtime. I just look at that and say like, that's probably going to be your Western Conference final again because nobody else has stepped up. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know if I'm there yet, just because I think there are still so many variables. I mean, if Dallas trades for Patrick Kane, if Winnipeg gets a guy, if they go all in and decide we want Timo Meyer or something like that, a lot can change. My here's kind of how I have presented my thoughts on the Western Conference, which is that I think there are teams in the West that can beat Colorado in a playoff series. I don't not saying they will, but I think Dallas could. I think Winnipeg could. Like those are good teams. Oh, the Edmonton Oilers could. But I also think that the only team in the Western Conference Mm. as currently constructed that could contend against an Eastern Conference team, because there's going to be a juggernaut coming out of the East. I think Colorado might be the only one of those teams that I think really stacks up. Such a good point. That's such a good way to put it. I I like that. Um, I'm going to use that next time when you're not on the show. (laughs) No, that's that's, that's a very good point. But also, I mean, but also that that all can change. I mean, yeah, it. Jake Ottinger plays out of their mind and they get Patrick Kane and Mira Haskinen does Mira Haskinen things, then that Dallas could be a big, big problem. You know, like there's, there's good teams out there, but it's just right now we haven't seen it. The Avs haven't shown it either other than this last little stretch, but the Avs kind of have the pedigree that they know that they can win. They've shown that they can win and they have the, ace in their pocket with with Landis and if he's able to come back because that's that's the other big if is I don't I, I think the abs are gonna have a real tough time in the playoffs if he's if he's not healthy yeah you you ideally if, if you're the avalanche you want Gabe Landis back by April 1 through April 5th at the latest so he can get three or four games under his belt I mean yeah it would be cool if he comes back for the first game of the playoffs yes that's exactly what Nikita Kucherov did in 2022 uh 2021 and led the, the league in points in the playoffs, but ideally you want to get him going before then. I think, you know, back in the day, the Avalanche in 2001, they won the Stanley Cup. Peter Forsberg missed the entire 20. This is this is one of my favorite stats. Peter Forsberg missed the entire 2022 regular season, returned for game one of the playoffs, and led the playoffs in points in 2022. Just like Nikita Kucherov. The only difference is the Avalanche weren't in the Stanley Cup final in 2022, and Peter Forsberg still led it in points. So it is. And, and you, you mean 2001 but, or 2002. 2002, 2002, not 22, yes. Yeah, because uh, Forsberg did miss all the 2022 regular season. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, 2002. So he missed the entire regular season, came back, led the playoffs in points. So basically what I'm saying is between Forsberg, Kucherov, like there is a history of players returning for game one of the I mean, playoffs. I mean, Landis last year. Well, yeah, but he didn't miss the entire regular season. But sure, is, sure. Between Kucherov and Forsberg, there, there is history of players missing the entire regular season after his team wins the cup and comes in for game one of the playoffs and leads the league in points and is effective. Like that has now happened twice in, in, in our lifetimes. But ideally, if you're the Avs, you want to get Landis Cog back a little bit before then make sure he's good to go, make sure he's okay. Um, but no, I think that's a really, really good way to put it. Like I look at, you know, I look at Tampa Bay in the two years they won the cup, they had Dallas and they had Montreal. They were fortunate because honestly, both those seasons should have been, a juggernaut battle of Tampa Bay and Vegas, both COVID years, Vegas, both times kind of blew it in the, in the Western conference slash whatever that conference final matchup was against Montreal. Um, but then they had Colorado, they lost to Colorado and you look at the Dallas's and the Winnipeg's and I, like fucking Seattle can go on a run LA, like random teams can go on a run and they're up against Boston or the Rangers who were close last year or Tampa Bay again, or Toronto, who's now really deep at the forward core. So I think that's a good way to put it. We'll just have to see what happens with the trade deadline. Timo Meyer, Patrick Kane, still quite a few names uh, left on the board. Obviously, the defensemen, Chikrin, Gavrikov, etc. But um, with that, I guess the next thing to talk about with the Avalanche is um, by my math and by historic NHL injuries, it takes about six to seven weeks-ish to recover from a broken ankle. Eric Johnson is out with a broken ankle. We are about six to seven weeks-ish away from the playoffs. So this smells a lot like LTIR to me for Eric Johnson and the Avalanche. Yeah, and I'm not – I don't think it's any funny business. I mean, no, no, not, he not. didn't fake breaking his he ankle. And, and that's, ankle. The, that's the thing with – people get pissed at Tampa Bay for, for kind of how they handled it with Kucherov. But at the end of the day, Kucherov got like a pretty serious surgery that's the timeline matched up with exactly when he came back. And you could, you could say maybe there's funny business. The league investigated. You could say maybe the league didn't think it was that much of an investigation. But these teams, like, this is always – every year people are like, oh, they should pull an LTIR thing. Like, you can't tell a guy to get hurt and or, like, be like, all right, your ankle's bugging you, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It, it's got to be a real injury. And the abs have a real injury with Eric Johnson, which, assuming it takes a normal length of time to recover um, – is probably going to lead to them having a good chunk of extra cap space. And I think there's a lot of questions of how they handle it. I think it means they can probably afford certainly to get more players in terms of just the financials of how it fits in. I don't know if they have the trade trips to get more players just because they yeah. are pretty, uh, they've, they've, they used a lot of those last, last year. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I, I think it's, it's really interesting. I'm curious if they, do you try and get a defenseman with uh, Eric Johnson out just to like have kind of some insurance of, I mean, I think we all, we we've all liked how Andreas Anglin and Brad Hunt have played. Um, but I also think you don't want to go into game one of the playoffs with them in your starting lineup. I yeah. think may, if they need to play in a pinch at some point in the playoffs, you're probably like, okay, you can play sheltered minutes, but going into the playoffs, maybe you want to have a, I don't know. Scott Mayfield, Jack Johnson. I think Luke Shen is is probably a little out of their price range, um, but but there are guys out there that maybe they could uh, could could get to kind of fill in for Eric Johnson until he's he's back and healthy. Yeah, I mean when you look at 
when you look at the, the Avalanche's defense, number one, if their top five are in, are healthy all the way through, it helps a lot. But what are the chances they're top five? I mean, even last year when the Avalanche didn't have many injuries to their blue line, they only had one, and it was one of those five guys. But they had Ryan Murray and Jack Johnson waiting in the wings. Yeah. So it is a little bit different. If you have EJ already missing the beginning of the playoffs, if he's not ready by then, and then one of those guys gets injured, it's, you know, you suddenly have both England and Brad Hunt in the lineup, which is not what you want to see uh, if you're the Avs. Um, alternatively, I, I, if, if, all fi- if all five guys are healthy and you just have five guys and a number six, I mean, you play the tail out of the top five because top five guys and number six plays five minutes. I mean, teams have done that to win Stanley Cups before. It's sure. not ideal, but you are, ultimately you will do want to add another depth guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is just the Eric Johnson injury is a reminder of there is a drop off after six, after the sixth defenseman on the abs. Yes. And I think getting through the playoffs with only 70, like the abs did last year is probably an anomaly. Like more times than not, it'll take eight or so guys on the back end to, to get through a cup run. Cause it's a lot of games. They're physical games. Guys get hurt. Those guys are playing physical minutes. Like, I mean, how many of those guys, how many of those defensemen last year, in the playoffs for the abs of those seven defensemen who played, obviously Gerard broke his sternum, but I would say probably all of those other guys were pretty banged up by the end of the run. Um, And if like could have easily missed time and if it was a regular season game. So I I think you want to have eight guys that you can trust. Um, So I I do, I've, I've been thinking a bit more about that of if, if someone makes sense to add there, I think the biggest need while a defenseman would make sense. I think the biggest need is still forward. Um, I think you look at the second line center options and they're evaporating pretty quickly. Um, the one that intrigues me is Adam Henrique from Anaheim. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got another year of term, so he would acquiring him unless you're going to acquire him and then trade him come the off season. Acquiring him is essentially kind of saying goodbye to Comfer, probably Rodriguez too, you know, um, Unless, I mean, Anaheim could retain and then you you have that. But he's a he's a good player. He's had a good year. Um, but I don't I don't know what that'll cost. I would assume that there's teams are always looking for centers. And I think that right now with how the market has turned out, like there's going to be a lot. It could be a bidding war for those last few centers. And the abs are not equipped to win bidding wars right now. Yeah, um, no. The other note I think we'll add is Elliot Friedman today on the 32 thoughts podcast mentioned that the abs were in on O'Reilly, which I thought was really, I'm not surprised. I had kind of talked about that. I thought O'Reilly would be a good fit. Um, and the front, the abs front office operates pretty quietly. They don't like letting things get out, but I, I am not surprised that they are in on, they were in on O'Reilly. And I think it makes a whole lot of sense and uh, would have been a fun reunion, but I mean, they did not have, what the Leafs had in terms of draft capital to make that happen. I think the Leafs gave up a first, second, third, and fourth round pick, all things considered, because they paid a fourth to Minnesota, um, plus two players. Um, so the players weren't weren't big players by yeah. any means, but I think that's probably more for St. Louis to just have like guys to fill out the roster. But I think that if you look at it, like there's there's some uh, it, it's intriguing. Like I I, I think that the abs are going to have to choose kind of how much to mortgage the future, how much they're willing to part with. Um, Cause you could put together a compelling trade package. It also might set you way back three years from now, if you put together a package of like a first and a good prospect, but 
maybe now's the time to try that. Yeah. I mean, when I look at the avalanche and, and um, when I look at what they're going to do at this deadline, I've, I've said this to you. I just, you got to think if they're adding a center at this point, it's a player with term because yeah, those are hard to find. Those are hard to find. Yeah. Like Adam Henrique is a good example of that. Two years left on his contract. Well, two years as in this year, plus next year. So only two playoff runs, two playoff runs, I should say. So, um, Adam Henrique's a good example. He makes 5.8. So he's the kind of player where if you get him at 50% retained, you get him at about 2.9 million, pretty reasonable number for someone who probably next year will give you 45 to 50 points or something like that. Um, you know, Boone Jenner is another example of that. That's someone that, you know, JJ and I have kind of discussed as like a, what if not that he's on the market, not that they're going to target him, but like guys like that guys that you can get that have a little bit of term because pending UFAs at this point that are centermen, like the only ones that are out there are guys that are not going to get traded guys like Patrice Bergeron, uh, you know, Ryan O'Reilly's already been traded. Bo Horvat's now been traded and signed an extension. So like, I just, Unless there's a name that we're not seeing or we're not thinking about, or unless Sean Monahan comes back, plays for a week, looks good, and the Avalanche say, screw it, let's just get this guy for a third or a fourth or a fifth or a sixth round draft here's, pick. Here's the thing with that is I don't think Montreal – my understanding from talking to our Montreal writers is Montreal doesn't want to give him up for a third or fourth. That's the thing. They, I remember They hearing... would see him they, – they, they are not opposed – they like Sean Monahan, think he's good for their young players. Like They would not be opposed to bringing him back. And so if they're going to get an under, I think they'd want at least like a second, which is yeah. hard to give up for a guy who hasn't really played. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. The fact that he hasn't played now and, you know, that changes everything. If Montreal's not going to give him away, then do you want to give up a high draft pick for a guy that hasn't played since what? December 4th, December 5th. It's been a long time since Monahan's played. He practiced on, on Saturday, I think, um, or Friday, whichever day I was reading Twitter and he had taken the ice, but he was not at practice this morning. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's a setback or a scheduled thing, but that's something you got to keep in mind with someone like him. So like at this point, there really isn't many options of guys that are unexpiring deals. So who do you go out for? I mean, Ivan Barbashev is someone that, you know, has been tossed around a little bit. Everybody knows St. Louis is likely going to trade him as well. He's a pending UFA. I think he's played center before you mentioned that to me. And then I kind of did a little bit of research. He has played center before, but he's mostly a wing. And, you know, again, JT Comfer can play your second line center. You just add another winger like Ivan Barbashev and you have a third line of new hook Barbashev and, and Rodriguez, for example. So I, it's just it's looking more and more like if you're gonna bring in a center, it's got to be somebody with term because the guys that are on pending uh, unrestricted free agent deals, you're just you're running out of options. Now. Unless you bring in a depth center rather than a second, yeah, center, yeah, yeah, which yeah, I yeah. think makes sense. Like if you can't, I don't think this is a year that they should force trying to like overpay for someone who who isn't gonna really move the needle. I think if they get. Nick Bukestad and a good winger, maybe that's enough. You know, like, like then you have some more flexibility with your bottom six of who's playing center. Um, and, and then you add a, a score, another score. And maybe then you don't roll into the playoffs with the ideal second line. But I, again, if you have a second line, that's something like Landeskog, Comfort, Nachushkin, like that's really not the end of the world. And then you have a strong winger on the third line as well. Like, sure. Again, I've mentioned this before, and uh, I mentioned this way, way back when we were doing preseason podcasts, and I'll mention it again. When the Chicago Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup in 2015, they had really, really strong wingers. They had Taves and Kane and Sharp and and Hosa. 
not Taves, but Hosa and Kane and Sharp. And uh, there's a fourth one that's escaping me right now, but they had really strong wingers. And then their second line center was Anton Vermette. Antoine Vermette, they got him at the trade deadline. He had three points in 19 regular season games, and then he had four goals, three assists, seven points in 20 playoff games. That was their second line center. They did it the previous cup, I believe, with Brad Richards as well. They never really had that strong second line center because their wingers were guys like Marion Hosa, guys like Patrick King, guys that played a really good two-way game where it didn't really matter. And look at who the Avalanche's wingers are. You got Gabe Landeskog, who plays a strong two-way game if he's healthy. Val Nachushkin and uh, Arturi Lekkinen, two very strong 200-foot players. Miko Rantanen, who's starting to build a reputation for being a 200-foot player as well. So I don't think it's the end of the world. If you would bring in another winger, I mean, Barbashev, Patrick Kane, whatever winger you could think of. Van Riemsdyk. Van Riemsdyk, bingo. Like, it's not the end of the world if you stack your third line and just have, you know, JT Comfer as your second line center. Maybe Newhook as your third line center with uh, James Van Riemsdyk, for example, and Evan Rodriguez. And then you have a fourth line. You got Nieto, you got Helm, you got Cogli if Helm's in healthy. You got Helm, Nieto, Cogliano, Logan O'Connor. You'll probably bring in another one. You mentioned Nick Bukestad. There's another Nick that I like as well, Nick Benino. He was the third line for the Pittsburgh Penguins, the, the famous HBK line with, uh, Hagelin, Benino, and Phil Kessel. Nick Benino's playing on San Jose right now. Nine goals, nine assists, 18 points in 54 games. Pretty damn good for a guy whose career high is th- uh, 49. And, you know, ever since he joined the Penguins and won cups, he's only hit 37. So that's what you want to see from a veteran. Those are the kind of guys you want to get. I know it's another San Jose guy. You've already gotten Nieto. You've already gotten Cagliano. But it's not the end of the world if the Avalanche don't go out and make that big trade because you can't force it. Like, you know, if there was three or four more Bo Horvats out there and three or four more Ryan O'Reilly's out there. Yeah, sure. If Jonathan Taves was still available, I'd say, Hey, maybe that's the guy you go out and get. But when you're running out of options, what do you do? Like, there's just nobody there. And and are you going to blame them for not jumping in early to trade for O'Reilly and Horvat? No, because what the teams gave up to get those guys was way more than what the avalanche have to give up right now. Yeah. Unless they want to include someone like Newhook, which I don't think they do. And I think would be pretty, problematic for their future if they were to give up someone like that because yeah. again the cap's not getting it's not going up as quickly as people want like that's going to be a real constraint and you're going to need if you're going to trade a guy who's who's young and cheap you need to get someone with term um and and yeah i, I always i always look back at when the avalanche their deadlines always used to be about bringing in guys that were rfas you know they did it last year with lekanen guys that are more team controlled i should say not necessarily just half term but team control they once traded Wojtek volsky for peter mueller who had a pretty good showing before his concussion issues like those are the types of deals that you want to see the avalanche make whether it's now whether it's in the off season um which is what i think they will do to fill out their lineup i think i think they're 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 kind of past that one year UFA guy and let's go see who we can find. Let's go see if we can find the Kirby doc that Chicago's willing to give up for a first rounder and, and, you know, move him along with our team on an ELC or a, or a low money contract. So we'll see what happens with the deadline. The, the names that stick out to me are Adam Henrique, um, Nick Benino's another one, uh, defenseman, like you said, Jack Johnson and guys of that stat, guys of that, like, level of play i should say uh like you said scott mayfield's another good example um 
This one is my pipe dream. He's never going to get traded because he's really good. Nick Schmaltz at Arizona. He's been incredible the last couple of years. He's, uh, he's got term, but he also makes 5.8. Like the Avalanche can't afford that unless there's money eaten, but Arizona's not eating that unless you give them three first rounders. So uh, we'll see where they go from here. But if they have the players on the market that they want to acquire, and if they have the assets necessary to acquire those players, you can very well dip into LTIR with Eric Johnson and use that to go out and get somebody because last year they had the option to LTIR Gabe Landeskog and they didn't even need to. They got Josh Manson, Arturi Lekkinen, Nico Sturm, and Andrew Cagliano, and they didn't touch the LTIR because it wasn't necessary. Um, so we'll see if they need to do it this year, but you know we're, we're, we're getting closer to the deadline, so we're going to figure it out soon. Yeah. Uh, one O'Reilly thought I want to ask you, do you think, um, the Ryan O'Reilly, wh what grade would you give the abs for how they did on the Ryan O'Reilly trade? I would still say C. Yeah. I think it was an okay deal. Like, obviously you gave up the best player in the deal and that's hard, but when you think about it, they got Comfer, who's been a really good player for a long time and was a big piece of a cup team. You got Zadorov, who was I, I I didn't cover him, but I got the sense he had his good moments and bad moments, but <laughs> was a guy who played a lot of games. You turned him into Brandon Saad, who was was only here for a year, but during that playoff run, if if the Avs had gone farther, he could have etched his name into to Avs lore because he he was really good. Um, and then was who else was in that? They got some picks, I think. Renko and uh draft pick, which they used. They switched that draft pick down to select AJ Greer. Okay. Who's who played for them? Like, yeah, I, um, when I look at that trade, it's a whole lot of outside of JT comfort. It's just pieces. Um, it's and, the same. And, uh, and sod. I mean, I only, yeah, but, but... but the trade tree goes a little bit further before you get sad. When I look at that trade, I look at where the avalanche were at that time, what they needed. I, I give them a C as like, I'm not a harsh grader, but it wasn't a good trade for the apps is the way that yeah, I see it. Sure. Because no. JT Comfer has been a guy. He's been a trooper. He's been great to have around. But and and this isn't just my Ryan O'Reilly bias talking, because everybody on this podcast already knows I I you know I love that guy as a I love that guy as a player. He's one of my favorite players in the NHL. Um, but at the time when that trade happened, it was just a whole lot of Let's try to get anything for this guy. They couldn't even get a first rounder. It was a high second round pick. It was like the 32nd overall pick in the Jack Eichel trade. Um, they didn't do a good job with it because at that time they needed to lock up a second line center and they just let him walk out the door. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is I mean, ultimately what they did. And then it, he went on, you know, he, he had a rough couple years in Buffalo and then went on to St. Louis Smythe. and yeah. want to con smite like, it's it's hard for me though to call it like a complete loss just because you did get a guy who, uh, obviously it long term worked out. I think in the I think it's probably longer term. It was a the trade has aged okay. I think in the moment it was not as good of a trade because they didn't get well. It's kind did. of it's kind of like saying Toronto did good with the Kadri trade because Kerfoot's still there and still producing. Like I sure, you can't yeah. look at it that way. Like yeah sure kerfoot's the longest standing guy of that trade callie rosen has since moved on and uh tyson Berry's since moved on but you know the avalanche won that trade and nazem Kadri's no ryan o'reilly like he's a good i'm also player. i'm also still thinking of brandon sodby I, I think that's yeah the one yeah yeah, yeah. no that's that's true but also yeah no i i get that 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 that's a reasonable thing because it's not like toronto because it's not just comfort it's like comfort plus a guy who was 
he was kind of keeping the abs afloat during that Vegas series. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's one of those things. There's a lot of ifs and what's and buts sure, that would have yeah. you know happened. Like if the Avalanche gave Ryan O'Reilly an eight year deal way way back then, like he would have been on the team last year. But if he's on the team last year, then Kadri's not. You're not trading for Kadri. So what are you doing with Tyson Berry? Here is another example of that. If the Avalanche didn't get you know I don't want to say screwed, but didn't lose the draft lottery, they probably select Jack Hughes instead of Bowen Byram. If they select ne- Jack Hughes. And- no, they, that they would have that would have been the Heisher draft. No, no, no. Heisher draft was Kill McCarr. Yeah, very, that was the year they had the worst record and lost the lottery. I'm talking about no, no. I'm talking about the very next year where Ottawa was last place and they had the Ottawa pick. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That was the, yeah two years. The Avalanche, yeah, yeah, the Avalanche made the playoff 2019. The Avalanche made the playoffs, made the second yeah. round, and had the best odds in the draft lottery, and dropped from one to four, just like they did two years earlier. Both years, 27 and 19, the Avalanche dropped from one to four to see New Jersey jump up to one. It was really weird. I just remember deja vu. But in 2019, if they don't drop from one to four, they don't draft Bowen Byram. They probably take Jack Hughes. If they take Jack Hughes in 2019 that summer, do they still trade for Nazem Kadri? Or do they feel the need to keep a Tyson Berry because, or maybe trade him for something else? Because now you have an 18-year-old Jack Hughes as your second line center. Jack Hughes gets injured. Do you win the cup with Jack or do you win the cup only with Kadri? Like there's just a lot of ifs and buts and what ifs that could have come from that. But um, I love revolving doors. They're fun. Yeah. The, that, that, those kind of conversations are fun, but it goes back to, you know, Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, if he was here this entire time, you probably have a good team and you probably win a cup or two, especially in those years where you were really close to beating San Jose in game seven. But the difference between that team was you traded Ryan O'Reilly and signed Carl Soderberg that very same summer. Actually, you traded for Carl Soderberg's UFA rights and signed him while Ryan O'Reilly was still on the team. Basically, the writing was on the wall. We're trading this dude at the draft. And they did. Yeah. So, I mean, now, to be fair, it's easier to say the cap would have been a bigger difficulty if they had to pay O'Reilly seven five rather than having Kadri for what was his deal yeah, like four, four, five, four and a like, half four and a half yeah it, it's there's a lot of stuff there but we don't have to get into I I was just thinking <laughs> about it and thought I would throw yeah. it out there no it's definitely a trade that you know the Avs recovered well and that's the good part is the Avs recovered well did the Ottawa Senators lose the Matt Duchesne trade absolutely they gave up way too much for a player at a time where they were not going to go on a run. But they recovered well with what they did with the Eric Carlson trade. Very similar kind of thing where they ended up getting a lottery pick the very next year and use it to draft Sanderson, just like the Avalanche uh, did the same thing with Bowen Byram. So does that mean they did good in the Duchesne trade? No, it just means they recovered well. The Avs recovered. They won a Stanley Cup. Ryan O'Reilly got his. The Avalanche got his. Reunion would have been fun, and hey, maybe a reunion still something that happens in the summer. Very unlikely. I, I would not. I would not count. <laughs> I would not count on that. Very unlikely, but you never know. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much all I got here. Um, Sweet. Me too. Any closing thoughts, Peter Ball? No. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. And before we close out the show, Peter, 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 Peter. What'd I do? Oh, you didn't do anything, but I remembered AJ's not here, but I still got to do our Superbook ads read. Make 2023 the year you beat Vegas. Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head-to-head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms, no guys across the ponds. 
setting lines for American sports, just the best team of odd makers in the business behind the counter at the Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promos bets anywhere. So download the Superbook Sports app or visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And with that, I say, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little hearts. Let's make hockey for everyone. Thank you for joining me, Peter, and we out you.